Welcome to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. We're here on a Saturday to bring you the fourth episode in our Hard Truth series, a year-long project examining systemic racism in America. Today, we're talking about power and influence in politics, who has it, and what it takes to get it. And we're doing that by having you listen in on a conversation between a veteran and freshman congressman. South Carolina Representative James Clyburn has been in the halls of Congress for almost three decades. I was elected in 1992 at a time when no African-American had been elected from South Carolina in 95 years. And New York Representative Mondaire Jones is in his first few months in office, part of the progressive 2020 blue wave. Most people discounted my ability to even win, having never held elected office, not coming from money. These two Black men are part of the 117th Congress, now the most racially and ethnically diverse in American history. It continues a recent trend. This Congress is the sixth in a row to break the diversity records set by the one before it. But the hard truth is getting elected to Congress is rife with obstacles that make it harder for people of color to run and win office. Congressman James Clyburn represents South Carolina's 6th District. It was established after the 1990 census, when the Justice Department used the Voting Rights Act to force states with a history of racial discrimination to create new districts. Here's Representative Clyburn days after his win back in 1992. What we're attempting to do now is trying to draw lines that will be inclusive. Those inclusive lines made Black votes more important than ever. Here's one example from the 2020 election. I want the public to know that I'm voting for Joe Biden. South Carolina should be voting for Joe Biden. Clyburn's support of Joe Biden before he won the South Carolina primary was pivotal to the presidential race. So that's why we wanted to talk to Clyburn about what power means to him. But we also wanted to hear him talk to someone who's just starting out in Congress, similarly as the first Black representative from their district. But today I come before you as a Black man in America. I come before you as someone for whom policy is personal. Congressman Mondaire Jones is the youngest member of Democratic leadership after he was elected by his peers to represent the freshman class. He's also one of the first openly gay Black men in Congress. How often do you get a chance to listen to a candid conversation between two key Democratic lawmakers? That's why we invited the two of them together to talk about politics, power, and representation. Well, thank you very much for having us. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Representative Clyburn, you have been in Congress since the early 1990s. I wanted to ask you where you see systemic racism. How do you think about that when it comes to your life as a lawmaker? Systemic racism is everywhere. It's, it, you know, we use the word systemic. I call it institutionalized. I often speak to members, not just members in Congress, but members in my own Democratic caucus who sometimes say things they don't mean to be expressing the institutionalization uh, of the racism that they have uh, lived in all of their lives. But if you ask them to repeat that, they will catch it, that they have said something, uh, and they sometimes catch it. We have to, to recognize that every uh, slight is not necessarily meant to be an insult. You got to know it's there when it manifests itself, 
you let people know what they have just said or what this issue is. We have that going on in our caucus right now. There are several pieces of legislation moving through that you're going to see black people in the South seeing it totally different from black people in the North. And it's going to happen with almost every piece of legislation that comes before us, and we'll have to sit down and try to find common ground. And I think we will find common ground. This is just a reminder for me that I am the first person of color to represent my district in the United States Congress. And as I think about barriers for for people of color, uh, including younger people of color, our system of financing of campaigns in this country, uh, which gives great advantage to people who have generational wealth, to people who are independently wealthy, and the way that a number of my opponents were in that election. I had to quit my job to spend eight hours a day on the phone, so I was unemployed for a year and a half, and the only way I was able to do that is because I had been a corporate lawyer for a number of years in my late 20s. So I spent through my savings and went broke. I was grateful to get health insurance and my first paycheck on, fe- on around February 1st. Uh, but I would have I would have felt a little silly having done that <laughs> and having lost the election. And it shouldn't be that you have to be a corporate lawyer or or have gone to Harvard Law School and have a network of friends who are willing to donate to you or come from money to be able to win a congressional seat in this country. That's not government by the people. You know, that's why I was so uh, concerned, and I still am, about the Supreme Court decision in Citizens United. I call that the worst Supreme Court decision since Dred Scott. In 15 seconds, more about why Congressman Clyburn thinks it's such a terrible decision. Welcome back to Axios Today. I wanted to pause here and explain the Supreme Court decision on Citizens United versus the FEC that Congressman Clyburn was just talking about. In January 2010, the Supreme Court ruled limiting political spending from corporations or other outside groups is a violation of the First Amendment. We know the First Amendment as allowing for free speech. The court said money was the same thing. And if groups like Citizens United aren't working with a political party or candidate, they can spend as much as they want. Here's Representative Clyburn again. I said that at the time, and I still feel very strongly that Citizens United Supreme Court decision that tended to, for all intents and purposes, uh, treat corporations uh, as people. I still believe that if that decision is not overturned, we are going to have problems down into the future. Serious problems. When you have corporations having outsized control over our politics because of the money that they are pumping into these elections, it has the effect of changing people's views, shall we say, (laughs) on on, on what is necessary economically for working people in this country. Well, it's another form of suppression. It suppressed the views of the folks in the Congress and suppressed the votes of the folks outside of the Congress. So suppression is sort of the key. I wanted to ask both of you about that, because when you're thinking about voting rights, I wonder if both of you could just talk about how you feel that struggle has changed, if you think that's different today, or if it is the same fight, Congressman Clyburn, that you have been fighting for decades. Oh, sure. It's the same fight. What you have to do is recognize that there is always a modernization of the approaches. They just knew creative devices. You don't have to 
count or guess how many jelly beans are in a jar or how many bubbles are in the bar of soap. But you got to have your voter ID. Uh, you got to find, they find other reasons to suppress the, suppress the vote. So the aims and objectives are still the same. They're just coming up with new methods. And that's why I am very, very concerned today about whether or not we are going to coalesce around passing the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act, which is really the modernization of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. If we don't do that, I guarantee you, you're going to see a lot of African-Americans in southern states not reelected. For me, it's, it's more than just passing the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act. It's making sure that we have a sane way of drawing congressional districts over the next 10 years that respects majority minority districts while also ensuring that these districts are not being packed, that the votes of black people are not being diluted for the purpose of minimizing the number of Democratic representatives, including people of color, elected to the United States Congress over the next 10 years. Thank you for your time. I really enjoyed this discussion. Really appreciate your service. I've watched you. you you're, uh, you're doing it right. Thank you, sir. I pre- That means a lot. That means a lot. <laughs> Take care. We wanted to focus on Congress, specifically the House of Representatives, because it's the institution that was built to best represent the needs and wants of the American electorate. And when you look at Congress as a whole, it is getting closer to reflecting American voters. Black, Hispanic, and Asian voters are almost 30 percent of the population, and they're just 22 percent of congressional representatives. But we haven't reached the point where Congress mirrors our country's electorate, especially when it comes to Latinos or Asian Americans. Mark Lopez is a director of global migration and demography research at Pew and has been looking at how voting blocks have changed. So even though Congress has become more diverse, one of the challenges that you've seen is that the share of the population that is, for example, say Latino, is at 18 percent. But the number of congressional representatives who are Hispanic remains below the share that you might expect with an 18 percent share of the U.S. population. In fact, we would need to double the current number of representatives to properly reflect Latino share of the population. The same is true for Asian American and Pacific Islanders. Mark told me it's important here to remember the historical context. Like voting laws in South Carolina that kept Black representatives from being elected, and the civic engagement that it took to overcome these obstacles. Black Americans have been at the center of a lot of civil rights movements in the country's history for decades. Hispanics and Asians have also been a part of that for decades, although most of Hispanic and Asian population growth has come since the 1960s, so it's relatively recent that their populations have grown to numbers that rival, if not surpass, the Black American population. The hard truth is, as we look at these growing numbers of non-white Americans, it's taken more than a century for Black Americans to be the closest to parity when it comes to representation. Today, half of all non-white representatives in Congress are Black. As we heard firsthand from Representatives Clyburn and Jones, beneath these numbers of representation are real obstacles to gaining power in the halls of Congress. Not just our history, but also our current voting laws, civic engagement, and most of all, money. Axios Today was brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. This episode was produced by Nuria Marquez-Martinez. 
Special thanks to Axios Executive Editor Sarah K. Helani Gu, Hard Truths Editor Michelle Salcedo, Executive Producer Dan Bobkoff, and Political Reporter Alexi McCammond. We love feedback. You can tell us what you think by emailing us at podcasts at axios.com or messaging me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll be back with the news on Monday.